following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. and travelers down thunder road it's us days of thunder the wcw thunder rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for but we did anyway coming to you as part of the pwom podcast network i'm your host your punks atani phil upon thunder road dave ryan and i am joined <laughs> by my regular co-host who i knew that would pop stagger lee malone okay lee, how are you? you got me with that one that that's the best one in a fucking long time i love that one <laughs> i just uh, the theme of this show is going to be things that felt like fucking deja vu. Things we felt we've seen a hundred times and we'll probably see a hundred times more. So what more appropriate? Um, how have you been this week, my friend? I'm a lot better after that. that that's really cheered me up now. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to come into this show grumpy and upset and tired. But now I'm, I'm feeling a lot better right now. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you invoke Groundhog Day once and it puts the wind back in the sails. Ah, just good times. <laughs> <laughs> good times, great memories. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, pretty happy with how um, Knights of Nitro turned out in the mm-hmm. end. Uh, our second tip over onto the red brand. Um, I feel like it's... Set- yeah, it won't be our last, not even our last this month. Um also, I realized we're only a couple of like a, maybe three or four months away from the finger poke of doom as well. So we're, we're going to have a quite a few nights of nitro um, coming up. But, that, that, that almost sounds like a threat. Not, not to the <laughs> listeners, to me. <laughs> yeah, less of a promise, more of a threat. Uh, but, yeah, no, I'm happy with how the episode came out. It was nice to get a little bit of, you know, of a break from from Thunder Road like we enjoy doing these shows even if we don't always enjoy watching them but it's always nice to throw something a little bit mm-hmm. off the beaten track in um I I was just thinking about this I think this is the longest consecutive amount of shows we watched because we watched the pre-pay-per-view Thunder the yeah. pay-per-view the Nitro and now another Thunder yeah, uh, yeah, it probably is because we've we've done more episodes of the podcast in sequence, but we've jumped around timelines in doing mm. that. So you're probably right. Jesus Christ, yeah. I I actually will enjoy uh, the next week that we have where we're not recording or watching a show uh, <laughs> where I won't have to watch anything from 1998. Um, but yeah, no, like I said, it's 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 nice to to get off the usual. Um, 
uh, Thunder Road and try something a bit different. And, uh, you know, we, we've we've alluded to before, we have a number of uh, special episodes we have in our head uh, coming down the road here. The David Arquette documentary episode. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm checking every day for, for us over here in Ireland to be able to watch that documentary. Um, and there will definitely be a full dedicated episode on that as soon as the two of us can get around to watching it. Oh, that's uh, like as soon as it drops, we will watch it like if not that week that weekend as soon as it's available like yeah it's available on vod over in north america at the moment um and i just need to find because you can get it on in some territories you can get it on amazon prime video but it's not on our amazon yeah, prime video higher, yeah, yeah. so i i'm i'm keeping an eye out and if any of our european thunder buddies know of where we can get it then please do let us know because we will be immediately getting to that and, and of course a big shout out for helping us out totally legally of course as well of course, yes, yes. Especially for for the man himself, David Arquette, I want to throw a few shekels his way for sure. Um, help him out there. But um, yeah, and I've, I've had, you know, this is for, for all fair talk, but I've had a couple more ideas this week uh, just from things I've watched about some Link to the Cast at the, or not Link to the Cast, that's my other podcast. <laughs> it was when I was watching something for Link to the Cast, I thought of this, uh, Days of Thunder at the Movies episodes that we could do. Oh, no. um, but yeah, watch this space on that one anyway. Oh no. Um, <laughs> but uh, other than that, I've had a good week. It's actually, you know, we, you know, it's a podcast rooted in the late 90s that we do. And you know, speaking of the late 90s, early 2000s, something that's really taken me in the way back machine this week is both. Uh, I watched the first two Bill and Ted movies. Nice. which were like quintessential yeah. movies I know they are set late 80s early 90s but I would have watched them in the late 90s mm-hmm. and all weekend I've been playing Tony Hawk oh, you bastard I haven't got it yet oh my god it's so good I went like I, I'm kind of you know I'm I'm saving up for, for this and that uh, at the moment but I had a bunch of games just sitting here in the house that like I'd beaten or I wasn't going to get back to so I was like oh look I'd like to Tony Hawk is the exact kind of fun experience mm-hmm. to like switch off the brain that I, I could use FIFA for most of the time. So I went and got that and I've um I've been quite busy over my days off, so I haven't played as much of it as I would have liked, but um, you know, I've gotten through the the tutorial and I've done some free skates and like uh, dipped into the the tour mode and things like that. So yeah, I'm just I'm feeling so nostalgic this week, pal. Um because it's just, I I was never a Tony Hawk kid growing up because I was an N64 kid, not a PlayStation kid. Okay. But kind of coming up around the time that we were both children and teenagers, mm-hmm. the whole skating scene is very nostalgic for us because like yeah. we were the era of like Jackass and CKY and mm-hmm. things like that. And so it's... um. Yeah, it's just a real nice trip back and it's it's such a gorgeous remake of those two games that it doesn't feel like a game from the 90s or early 2000s I'm playing. It feels like a game that just came out this year. And, um, and, and you know what, that, that's always a problem I had with like, you know, the PlayStation Store is great. You kind of dip in and you get a game from the PS2 that you used to love. Yeah. And then you play and you play it for 45 minutes yeah. and you're like... I should have left the memories alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes you get that. Some games don't need to be touched up, but then some mm-hmm. games very much do. And yeah, that you can hear the creaking when you're trying to play them again now that you'd almost sooner have cracked out the PS1 and played it there rather than buy the badly polished remake. I, I, I tell you what I have done over the past week is, and it's kind of related to this, I kind of, I 
dip in and out of reading. Sometimes I'll read a ton, and then sometimes I won't read anything for months. Yeah. So a couple, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I kind of I got a Ready Player One on the Kindle for like three euro ah, yeah. or something. Mm. And I read like I read about twenty twenty five percent of the book in the first week. Yeah. And I didn't go back to it for a while. Mm. And I'd say in the last five days, I've kind of finished off the book. Like I just mm. kind of went got into a routine of reading, and I was like got totally dragged into the nostalgia of it. Yeah. Oh like, yeah, oh. that 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 book um Ernie Klein's Ready Player One is like a nostalgia factory. Mm-hmm. Um it's great for that. Like I I <clears throat> I think the more your people's mileage kind of varies on it because I think like it, I'm so immersed in like um the the kind of gaming, I don't want to call it culture or anything like that, but like gaming Twitter and gaming online people. That sometimes the nostalgia wears on me because it sounds like all the people I'm tired of online. But then sometimes it reminds me of really nice things that just remind me of being a child. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, that, that, that's what it was for me. It was just like, yeah, a nice dip into childhood. Uh, before we get into this uh, lackluster episode of Thunder, I don't know if you can tell by us killing 15 minutes at the top, not talking about <laughs> WCW. But uh, let's talk about the uh, the beverages we have to get us through this program. Uh, Lee, what have you got in the holster this week? This week, I think I mentioned it on the last show, I picked this up along with the last beverage I had. It's an O'Hara's Irish Red Traditional Ale. Mm. And it promotes a sweet malt caramel taste. And let me tell you, it delivers. It is yeah. very, very nice. It, it's like very malty yeah. initially when you taste it, but they, they'll just have that like kind of sweet little kick at the end. That's my favorite thing about those red ales is that they have that right balance of malt and sweetness. Mm-hmm. Um, those Rebel Reds that I have, there's like a very faint hint of chocolate off them, um, like in the aftertaste. Yeah. And yeah, that's like, it's just the perfect kind of subtle note, I suppose you could pretentiously call it. Of it, chocolate. it, it it's like, um, I just like go up there and like, I'm, I'm tasting it in my mouth afterwards. Like, like I can feel my tongue kind of like going along in my mouth going, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Before I get to mine, have you seen the thing that our friends over at Craft Central are doing at the moment where you can buy a case of random cans? Yes, I have. I've been very tempted by that. Whereas, like, if you can guess the can or the t- or it's mm-hmm. if you can guess the type of beer, isn't it right? Uh, you can win a, a cash prize or something like that. I've been sorely tempted by that, but I think because I I only get through one can per episode of the the fancy cans I buy. I think like the competition would have long timed out by the time I get through a full case. <laughs> um. I am going very local this week um, because I was just looking for something uh, a bit light and refreshing. So from the Kildare Brewing Company, I've gone with what I think is my favourite beer from their range. I've tried, I think, maybe four or five of them on this show, but um, the Chapel Lane Lager. Okay. Which is actually named after a lane uh, like 10 minutes from where I used to live. It's in Newbridge, right, isn't it? Nice. It's uh, the one that's right opposite the church, like the the cafe I Ah, used to go to in... The, the cafe I used to go to for lunch in Nace a lot when I was growing up, uh, it was on Chapel Lane and there used to be a sweet shop there and stuff like that. So the, the name of it immediately grabbed me uh, and then I bought it and it's, yeah, it's a really just delicious, light, um, it's probably more of a summery lager because you could drink a fair few of them um, and it really quenches the thirst. It's like a more full and flavorful Coors or Rockshore or something like okay. that. Uh, to give you a kind of comparison, but uh, I yeah I really like the the Chapel Lane Lager. I I like everything I've tried from the Kildare Brewing Company. I think um, 
and I'm not in their pockets in spite of the fact that I have <laughs> I, I've bought a set of their glassware and everything no matter how hard you try you just can't get in there no I, I, I yeah that's not to say I wouldn't be co-opted I'll be co-opted by anybody <laughs> we've always said this from the start we will yeah. we will promote anything <laughs> oh yeah we're fucking shills of the highest order don't get us wrong anybody's coin will get us in their pocket and we are easily bought <laughs> oh easily easily our prices are low 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 my friend <laughs> But look, let's talk, um, before we get into that, there's one more WCW thing um, just before we get into Thunder that I just remembered. And that is today, as we were going to record this, we heard the sad news um, that the man known as Ralphus is no longer with us. Yeah, um, like, it's awfully strange timing. Like, Jesus, like, condolences to his family and anyone that may have known him. And yeah. But God, like, of, of all the times on our journey... For Ralphus to kind of pop up on the timeline. Mm. With- yeah, it, it feels like one of those things that we've had a number of occasions doing this show where something poignant related to what we've been doing on the show has come up at the same time. Uh, and it is sad. He's a personality, I suppose would be the way to put mm-hmm. it, that has been with us for a long time, both back when we were kind of watching wrestling. Like, I remember the tail end of, of Ralphus in WCW. Um and then I think new life was breathed into Ralphus when Jericho wrote his first book. I was just going to say was, the Jericho book, yeah. And when he was doing his tour of interviews and stuff like that, and he would, you know, tell a bunch of Ralphus stories and his Ralphus voice that he would do and telling the story, because it's a law that if wrestlers are telling an anecdote, they have to do the voices. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I everything I've heard like seemed like just a real nice dude who is yeah. really thankful of the role he stumbled into basically and he like i believe he was like a long time wrestling fan and he was just so happy to be working for wcw yeah and he like he, like when jericho approached him he was just he was so happy and so over the moon that he just he would do anything they asked him and just yeah. like like you said just from everything jericho said just an absolute gem of a person yeah, he was a guy that, as you had said, I think a couple of episodes ago when he showed up, he was like a guy that like the boys in the back used to get it just at, like he used to pop them all the time. Yeah. They thought he was great crack and Jericho took it upon himself to find a way to get him onto TV um, in this role uh, as part of his security team with the Jericho-holic ninja. I, I, I could be misremembering, but I think Jericho was like nervous about asking him to wear the half shirt. Yeah. And Ralphus was just like, yeah, I'll, fucking, I'll do anything like yeah um yeah that was the thing as well like that that jericho has noted is that like he was just so game for anything Mm -hmm. he was so happy to be there to be kind of like uh associated with the company as you say and and like to have an on-screen role i imagine for somebody in the job that he he was in like it's beyond his wildest dreams to actually be a character uh on the show for for some time so like i hope he dined off that thing for for many years and like you know, he was already kind of like on the, the older side of middle-aged, I would say, at the time in 1998. So he, he probably led a good long life. Um, So fair play. We will miss you, Ralphus. Um, moving into this episode of Thunder. This is Thunder episode 32, September 17th, 1998. Uh, once again from Lexington, Kentucky. Um, <laughs> if, if that's not a giveaway, 
<laughs> yeah, Lee, this is so. This is something you know we've had it before. You know we noted it a second, few weeks ago. Second time this has happened now, isn't it? Yeah, we noted a few weeks ago. I think it was in Peoria, Illinois. They did this, mm-hmm. and this is something that from. I recently charted out our schedule of episodes so that I could see when all the nitros that we need to cover are coming up. Um, and pretty much, I would say, for two-thirds of the rest of Thunder, this is a consistent thing they do where they tape Thunder in blocks of two. Now, this is one of the most egregious ones because not every time do they do this where they tape a, a set of Thunders where one is supposed to be before pay-per-view and one is supposed to be after. Mm-hmm. Uh, in most of the months going forward, I want to say, or at least half, um, they finish up the week before the pay-per-view on that set of tapings. So they don't have to do basically something that is very evident for the whole... This episode only runs an hour and 19 minutes without commercials. <laughs> And there's a lot of clips. Like, I would say there's less than an hour's worth of actual content. But, um... I, I would say a lot less than an hour's worth of content. Yeah. Um, this is apparent that they had to do uh, a show where nothing was specific. You know? Um, they couldn't, obviously, with a live crowd, give away anything that happened on the pay-per-view because the pay-per-view hadn't happened yet for that mm-hmm. crowd. Um, so it's the most WWF metal ass thunder i have i i think i've seen to this point like genuinely um in terms of stuff going forward stuff that's built uh, and stuff worth looking out it is by far the most missable of all 32 episodes so far i think there is what two people that are in the middle of getting a push on the show yeah and they're in the most you know nondescript matches you could possibly think of that like yeah. like you said could not possibly give away any hint of the future plans not that they knew what they were but still yeah and even those people that are, are being pushed like it's not like oh a historically significant push it's not like we're missing key steps in Goldberg's push these are pushes that I think six months from now on this show we'll have forgotten happened mm-hmm. um but look, let, let's just kick things off anyway uh, and get through this shit. <laughs> uh, we're, this could be our most brief Thunder recap. Yeah, I guess. Set your fucking watches, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, we were past Fall Brawl, as we said, and we're on the way to Halloween Havoc, which will be uh, October 25th in, in Vegas. Uh, and like Lee said, so we have the continuation of uh, we've done Fall Brawl. We've done um, the a really significant nitro in terms of the the you know the the raven storyline being furthered mm-hmm. with kidman and the rest of them breaking away and kidman winning the belt and the return of the horseman and what that means and now we come back to a, a thunder that is headlined by the arm wrestling match for rick flair returning to wrestling yeah so this was obviously a thing where i i, I stand by what i said last week yeah. Or it was the previous week. Um, they only realized after this show where Nitro was being held. Yeah, and it was a thing then where it was like, oh, once they realized, it's not like they could have got. You can't put mm-hmm. take Ric Flair and put him on this show in person yeah. because obviously with the way the the actual real life timeline is working, you can't put Ric Flair in front of a Kentucky crowd three or four days before you're when you're still teasing yeah. will he be on nitro or not um so yeah whatever oversight in not realizing how they were booking out tv and recording tapings 
um it's very clear that kind of the last chapter came before this this should be the penultimate chapter and then the horseman return should be the last chapter but yeah it's really weird especially when like on so on on the the nitro there's like it's really an afterthought like it's mentioned maybe once on commentary and it's mentioned at the very tail end of the horseman segment Mm -hmm. you know but like it really feels like a, oh yeah we have to remind people of this and yeah it, it's like it's literally the only thing they kind of mention being on the shot well sorry they mentioned the the arm wrestling match and the the nwo tag match yeah which i have this feeling that was probably the main event of the actual taping and they changed up the order those poor people yeah because the actual ending of the show as we'll talk about is such a fucking anti climax and it's over that I feel like when I heard the tag match, I was like, all right, surely that's the main event. Because like, even though it's an NWO involved match, so it will have a shite finish. It will at least be the most over match mm-hmm. on the show because people love the Wolfpack. Could be mistaken on that. If anybody was I... somehow at the Lexington, Kentucky tapings, remembers this and listens to this show, uh, let us know. I'd say they possibly did like a Goldberg squash or sting or something somebody had to be after that tag match no way they could end the taping with that tag match or it could be a thing where on that night they shot maybe this episode first you know uh, because something we'll talk about on the show is that like there's a lot of people dressed as chairs on the hard cam uh, to borrow a line from Tom Zank on Observer Mm -hmm. Live years ago Um, many many empty chairs so it's um, it's either people saw two hours and went you know that's enough thunder or this was the one they shot like as soon as doors opened. Uh, it was giving me serious vibes of when I went to WrestleMania and we were one of, I think there was maybe about three, it, so it was in Cowboy Stadium, so 100,000 seater. And I think maybe about a thousand people got in before all the ticket machines broke. Was that for the Callisto fucking US title win? Yes, Callisto, the Ryback, wasn't it? The, the Ryback and Callisto, yeah. Yeah. Um. So like, And, and was, I believe even, even comedy were like, Oh, this is so bad. Like they, they were mentioning yeah. the small crowd, and there was a second match as well that was like Team Total Divas against another multi-team of women, and then I think the only other thing on that big pre-show was like Lita unveiling the belt, the because it was the the women's title belt. Oh, they, the, women, they, the, the women were getting recognition for no longer being divas. Yeah, that was the night they unveiled that they're not divas anymore. So, like, that was the only thing that was, like, noteworthy. But, yeah, the, a lot of this thunder was giving me vibes of me sitting in Cowboy Stadium <laughs> eating my very expensive chicken tenders and just going, fuck, there is just nobody here. I feel so bad. Um, um, not not to get us too off track already, but uh, have you watched, speaking of divas, have you watched the um, Sasha Banks, Bailey? WWE Untold on the network all about Brooklyn yes I did and what did you think of it um I had a, a lot of thoughts about it like I felt I thought because I love that match so much mm-hmm. like it's one of my favourite WWE matches in I think so I think, I think you're going to have the same complaint I have but go on but it feels like it felt like such an hour of the company patting themselves on the back. Yeah. Um, and it also felt like, you know, it was historic, but they're mm-hmm. trying to make it... They're reckoning. Yeah. And, and I thought, like, 
I thought uh, Bailey the, the clips they picked of her she came off very genuine and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that but I thought some of the clips they picked of, of Sasha being interviewed I thought she came off very strange yeah and like she was speaking in Instagram quotes you mm-hmm. know like those those uh, meaningful quotes with generic stock imagery behind them uh, that's how half her Vox Pops came off. I, I thought it was a very strange... For something I was excited to revisit, I thought it came off very weird. I, I saw a lot of praise for the show. And I said... That, yeah. I was actually put it on before... While I was setting up for us recording. And I said, oh, you know, this has a good bit of hype. And a lot of people are praising it. And I watched yeah. it and I was like... Uh, like... They're, they're trying to say they didn't practice the match. Yeah. Everybody knows they practiced the match. Yeah. But do you think, like, what people were actually praising was the match? Because they were get caught up in the emotion they remember from five years ago but when the match he- happened? Here's the other thing. I did not need, what, 15 minutes of them breaking down the match. Yeah. I didn't need that. Just tell me the, the history, the story of them yeah. getting through the match. Because that match is so good. Like, I, I went back and, and looked at it again. And I, I still think that is, if not still a five... Like, at the time I gave it five stars. Oh, it's a phenomenal if- match. Yeah, if it's not five stars for me, it's 4.75. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It still holds up. But like you said, you don't need anybody recounting that match because I think most people who watched it like, could probably recount most of it spot yeah. for spot. That's like, how iconic that match is. And there's so few matches nowadays where you can say that, where I could go through a match start to finish with and give you all the spots in order. I can't think of uh, an NXT match I've been able to do that with since uh, Gargano and Almas. Mm-hmm. You know, which is, I think, that I think to me, that was the last truly transcendently great match all, before all time, I started getting... All-time great WWE match. Before I before the NXT formula mm-hmm. started getting overexposed, the forced epics and all yeah. that. Um, um, but, like, I didn't need 60 seconds or 90 seconds of Sasha and Bailey breaking down Sasha kicking Bailey in the corner. Yeah. But... <laughs> to get us back on track here did you need 60 seconds of the commentary trying to make you believe that Eric Bischoff stood a chance here tonight because that's what we had to put up with I think was it the only time we saw the three of them in front of the live crowd mm-hmm. um, and they were talking about yeah so they talk about the tag match and they talk about Aaron versus Bischoff in the main event uh, I love Stagger Lee starts off by trying to explain what arm wrestling is yes. <laughs> which I, I fucking oh my god I love that. Where he's just like, for those of you at home who don't know what an arm wrestling match is like, I was like, oh my God, Lee, please. Well, see, it hadn't become a trope in wrestling yet. Yeah. Well, it was. It, it was an old timey thing, but like it hadn't been done in, a, I want to say, a long time. Yeah. And this is this is where idea one for Days of Thunder at the movies came from, that if I had done out our episode schedule far enough in advance that I knew this episode was coming a few weeks uh earlier than I did I would have suggested us watching the uh, Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling epic over the top um, <laughs> do you know something I've never seen it oh it's it's a phenomenal work of art I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that as um, good as Sylvester Stallone's other movie you want me to watch which is Demolition Man yeah oh my god Demolition Man is so good and it's coming to Netflix it is because <laughs> I told there- you about it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you did. I like. I'm telling you that that might be episode one if we do a, a movie <laughs> spinoff. I oh, God, that movie is ah, something else. Um, but yeah, we also have uh, Stagger Lee saying that he's worried about Aaron Anderson in this match. Um, 
one because it's a left-handed one it's a left-handed match so he's not using his strongest arm and two obviously at the pay-per-view Arn's arm had been attacked and I don't know Lee like I know that Bischoff is like Mr. Karate Man and stuff like that and he's you know he's healthy and young at this stage but I don't think like even with suspension of disbelief there's a world in which you could convince me that a man like Arn Anderson is in danger from a man like Eric Bischoff injured arm or not in an arm wrestling match no Arn Anderson still looks like a tough even to this day I still think Arn Anderson could be Eric Bischoff in a fucking an arm wrestling match like yeah. Arn Anderson is your dad that hustles people in arm wrestling matches in the pub like <laughs> That yeah, and like the fact that they're building up Bischoff, because like don't get me wrong, Aaron had a very serious injury and he did have atrophy of the left hand and he had problems with it and grip and stuff like that. Yeah, but yeah, come on. Yeah, Seriously. it's it's yeah, it's Aaron Anderson, Eric Bischoff. Come on, but we'll talk about what happens with that later on, because we've got to go to our our first contest here, a true epic as beautiful Bobby Eaton wrestles Wrath. It's like oh, is this a match you ever thought you'd want? No, it's a match that I, I'm sure with the, like, the... <laughs> I, I, I feel like there's a space in the market for, like, a Thunder Match randomizer app where this feels like just two names pulled out of a fucking hat. Um, uh, What I did like, and it wasn't anything really to do with the match, was that when they're on the way to the ring, the, the commentary that's obviously taped after this uh, show had actually been recorded... They they really do a great job putting over how important Nitro was. Mm-hmm. It really felt like one of those Nitros where, for good reasons, it's like you're such a sucker for having missed it. it, it you know what I mean? Not the one where you're like, oh, I'm so confused. I have no idea what happened. It's just like they're telling you that Nitro is such an important program. You missed what I believe mm-hmm. Tony calls one of the greatest moments in sports. Yeah, it, it was something I was going to say later on because the what the... I think it's 10 of the last 15 minutes yeah. are just a repeat of the whole Horseman... Well, not the whole, but a lot of the Horseman segment from Nitro. Yeah. And Pretty that, much from the moment Aaron puts his arm around JJ to the end, mm-hmm. almost uninterrupted. Um, And that tells me that right away, WCW management recognised just how, one, important, and two, unbelievably fucking... It, like emotional and like just how fucking fantastic that whole segment was it it's interesting that um because it's something that's put up in uh, that's mentioned repeatedly in death of wcw and i think it's mentioned in the nitro book as well that for a company that seemed to have such a low opinion at an executive level so often of rick flair you know we we've talked about it on the show before how often he was kind of mistreated and thought he was yesterday's man by people running the show there but like from almost the whole run of wcw to the bitter end anytime flair would return or do something big or be hyped up that rick flair is going to do x y or z he he popped a rating you know he he was very much their guy the fans like the fans never wanted to be rick flair they did it out of respect. Yeah. And the fact that he was a legit Ray Heel. Mm. But like like he should have been like a great way of describing it is Vince always talked to Hogan about being his babe root of yeah. wrestling. You know, this this kind of transcendent guy and like you're you're almost bigger than the sport. Mm-hmm. 
and that's what Ric Flair was to WCW. Just WCW management, like you said, constantly tried to belittle him, to change him, to play him down. And yet, you have a show like this coming yeah. off Nitro. And what is the show filled with? Clips of Ric Flair. Yeah. This is this is the Ric Flair show. You know? Mm-hmm. Like I said, they didn't have Ric Flair on the show in person for obvious reasons, this being taped earlier. But this was wall to wall. If you had never watched an episode of televised wrestling in your life and somehow you had the misfortune of this being your first one, you didn't get a lot from the in-ring action, but one thing was for sure after two hours of thunder, Ric Flair is the biggest star in the history of this business. And like WCW notoriously never dipped into their fucking archive as much as they should have. Yeah. This show is filled with fucking great clips of Rick Flair doing promos. Yeah. Entrances that make him look like the biggest fucking star in the world. Mm-hmm. Like wrestling, like beating people and just it's just everything you want to build up somebody. And somehow they go from like the most incredible return in in probably all of wrestling, like up to this point. Yeah. I don't think there's probably a better return for a star. Yeah. And yeah, we know where this goes. Yeah, um, it's it's such a shame. Like they, like I said, they they do such a good job here. You know, Tony says yeah, the fact remains that Bischoff is still in charge, so Aaron has to win tonight in that farce of a, a an arm wrestling thing. But uh, Stagger Lee then goes one step further, and I think for any other star in the business, this would have felt like okay, you're going a bit too far here. But for Flair, it almost feels appropriate that. He compares Flair coming back and anointing the new horseman to being like King Arthur knighting his knights at the round table with Excalibur. And I was like, yeah, it, it actually is that epic, you know. Um, but unfortunately, we do have to go to the ring at this point and um, Wrath goes to work on Eaton here. And I don't know if you noticed this as quickly as I did, but the camera work is bananas tonight. I can't say it, because I, I I probably just assumed it was bad wrestling. <laughs> yeah, oh, and it almost certainly was. But there's like lots of movement of the camera. The camera is moving a lot. We're getting very little of hard cam in this match. Lots of moving camera. Lots of quick zooms and lots of like fucking Dutch angles going on. Like it really felt like watching a fucking Shield match directed by Kevin Dunn. Like that's I was, how I was just gonna say. I may have like fucking. WWE 2020 vision and I just didn't notice all the fucking ridiculousness of it all I'd almost say like go back and watch this because it is fucking like it it feels so different to most WCW we're watching Um, not that there aren't different weird camera angles sometimes in WCW they definitely do try experimental stuff sometimes with their Mm -hmm. camera work but this was so excessive and so frenetic and so many cuts Um, I was thinking about it and trying to look I was like right they're deliberately not using the hard cam for some reason why is that so I was trying to look (laughs) that's exactly my guess the crowd well one the crowd is pretty dead anyway and using the hard cam too much in this match will expose all the empty seats like there's a huge couple of rows of empty seats and the seats in this arena in Lexington are like royal blue oh blue blue okay yeah, they're, they're like royal blue. Like they just stick out like a sore thumb. And even the people who are there, 
they're sitting down like again either they've just come in the door and are not into this or they've already been here for two hours and they're not into this so there's nothing really there you know i guess in one way it's clever because you're showing that there's action and you can kind of make out there's a crowd but it's not drawing your attention to how empty the building is unless you're someone like us who would be looking for a reason as to why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of this match, it there's fucking nothing to it. Like, no. Wrath just beats Eaton pillar to post inside the ring, outside the ring, hits the kind of, like, almost cane-like flying punch slash clothesline off the top, meltdown and a three count. Yeah, that that's literally it. Yeah. Like, I, I, I really, like, Wrath, I just have no interest in. Yeah, like, look, he's a big guy and they're giving him a push at the moment and that works sometimes. You know, people say wrestling is the easiest thing in the world. You get a guy who looks physically impressive and you just have beat pe- haven't beat people left, right and centre. So in terms of the, like, the, the pure kind of booking side of things, this made perfect sense. It shouldn't be 50-50. It shouldn't be a long, interesting, compelling match with drama. It should be a squash. That's what it was. But because we're not super into Rat... And because it was so short, there really isn't that much to add to it. No. We we get our first, Lee already talked about them, but we get the first of many Flair video packages uh, tonight. Uh, and like you said, it's good to see them utilize their history. It's mm-hmm. good to see them really acknowledge how important Monday and Ric Flair in general uh, yeah. is. Um, so like, good like, on them here. That like, yeah, like absolutely. I absolutely commend them for doing this. Like it's the perfect way to feel what was like a totally nondescript show yeah and i really wish they gave us more of this like like give us videos like that about sting lex luger um who else they would do, they have footage of like DDP. like they do they do it sometimes you know like they they were doing great goldberg video packages there for a while mm-hmm. and, and they just seem to they seem to be very like you said reticent to to mm-hmm. use their own history like the amount of and it's funny because WWF, WWE has the same thing now that they did then where it's just like, why are you weirdly ashamed of your own history? Like, you don't want to look back, even though it's one of their greatest assets. But it's funny, like, you know, like around 97, 98, WWE started, re- like, recognizing their history. And they would talk about, mm-hmm. like, Bob Backlund and Pedro Morales and all this stuff. And, like, people yeah. were like, oh, you know, this doesn't happen often. And then... Yeah. They went like heavy nostalgia by what two thousand three wasn't it or two thousand? Yeah. When was the Hogan run? Two thousand three was it? Two thousand two because it was undisputed title. Yeah. Um. But like then they went like full on nostalgia and like start doing the Hall of Fame properly and they became a bit too heavy handed with it. Yeah. And now even though they do the Hall of Fame on one side in terms of like when angles and stuff are being done, they're mm-hmm. weirdly ignorant of their own history in 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 ways that like it would really help them if they weren't. I was actually only watching recently a uh, shout out to, to OSW review. I was watching their um, they did the um, the Backland Brett angle the last few uh, mm-hmm. episodes of that. And like they, you want to talk about an angle that's steeped in history. You know what I mean? Um, like, weaponizing their own history to build up, you know, 40, was it 46-year-old Bob Backlund yeah. as a credible threat to Bret Hart in his mm-hmm. prime? And it worked. And, like, you know, much as the match, you know, it isn't a five-star classic or anything like that, but, like, as a storytelling match, I think that that Bret Backlund match was a masterpiece. The, the submission match where Owen tricks his mom and thrown in the towel. Yup. 
Yeah, it's a great match. Yeah, it's just phenomenal storytelling, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, like I said, the whole kind of return of Backland was a real kind of useful way to to bring up history. But uh, look, we we'll move on. We we'll get we we'll get bogged down in this uh, with every Flair video package <laughs> and our disappointment at them not doing this every single week. But um, next we had a commercial for Halloween Havoc, which I I pop big because Halloween Havoc is being brought to you by Snickers. Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's a real a real callback to very early days of thunder there mm-hmm. with uh we're, we're getting snickers halloween havoc brought to you by snickers this month <laughs> um next up we have mike enos versus lenny lane the very definition of a filler match uh sadly the status of jericho's lover boy tape is still unknown as of this match <laughs> um lenny lane go on, yeah. it, this is the first time we've seen mike enos since the second half of the uh peoria tapings yeah, he's he yeah, and you know, at this stage when he's doing his I'm Scott Steiner but not bit, mm-hmm. uh he is a very second half of the tapings wrestler, we'll yeah. put it that way. God bless I, him. I have to say, I still think his head is too small for his body. <laughs> Noted, my friend. Um <laughs> Lenny starts the match by attempting to get up in his face with a slap. Enos shoves him, hurls him across the ring, which looked good. Uh Gorilla Press, just a lot of power stuff here early. And Lenny trying to, you know, outsmart him. He does the kind of run out of the ring and around. And then when Enos gives chase, he cuts him off. Uh, hangs him up on the ropes and hits a tope to the outside. Lenny gets the heat then until he's caught uh, in midair by a power slam. And it was one of those things where, you know, um, say Dustin Rhodes has a great uh, power slam. Mm-hmm. Uh, Randy Orton obviously has a great power slam. This wasn't the kind of buttery smooth power slam that either of those do. But in terms of a physical feat, like it looked like a shoot power slam, you know, like he caught the man's dead weight and power slammed him. So in a way, it's almost as impressive, I thought. Yeah, like it did. Like, don't get me wrong. Nothing Enos does looks bad. No, he he just lacks that extra snap uh, mm-hmm. and a bit of charisma. And he, he very much reminds me of. So I was listening to the, the Voice of Wrestling flagship this week and they were talking after Bullet Bob died. They were talking about um, I was the Armstrong bring, brothers. Bring up. Yeah, I was got, literally going to make the same connection. And about how it, technically they, they aren't like uh, Brad and, and Steve, great wrestlers. Super talented, yeah. None of them had the charisma that Bob or, or Brian had. Um, and you know I, I think Joe Lanza was saying that like if you could have gotten a wrestler the quality of Brad Armstrong with the look of Brad Armstrong and given him Brian Armstrong's Brian's charisma, charisma. Yeah. he would have been one of the biggest stars in the business mm-hmm. uh, and Mike Enos is again he's one of them that like you said nothing he does here is wrong he doesn't really put a foot wrong technically he's very capable and with the right guy he has uh, like a very watchable match but he just never kicks on to that additional yeah. level I, I have there is nothing in him as a character that makes me root for Mike Enos or no. want to see him beaten he is he is unbuttered white bread you know he is the <laughs> plainest like he's just he is a breadstick like yeah. it's it's just nothing compelling yeah it's like like people like uh, there you go we use uh, Road Dog as an example awful wrestler like just fucking bad yeah never had a good well i won't say never had a good match but like you just you'd see him in a ring and he'd be just like like how like how is this guy but then you'd hear him talk or you'd see like the mannerisms the charisma of the guy and then you look at mike enos and you're like 
right really good wrestler everything he does has a good snap like he just a good like and I hate to use the term a good wrestler wrestler yeah but there's just zero there's nothing like he looks yeah. dead behind the eyes and he's not like this so the two types of people that get pushed in wrestling in spite of lacking in one department mm-hmm. so you'll get you'll get the big immobile stiff who has no charisma will still get pushed because he's a fucking brick shithouse right. or you'll get somebody who isn't um a great wrestler but has buckets of charisma like road dog mm. brian armstrong um but Mike Enos isn't like obviously like we said he has no personality no charisma but he's also he, like again for the average person he is a very physically impressive specimen yeah. but he is not big enough height wise or ridiculous enough looking to merit a push on that alone like you know like well, apart, said, apart from his comically small head on his really large yeah. body <laughs> like a melon on a toothpick or like a, like a <laughs> no the reverse the, 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 the opposite head. of that yeah. Yeah, a two, yeah, yeah. A two pick on top a of the melon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of those things, like we said it the other week, I think the worst thing about him doing the Scott Steiner bit is like WCW already has a Scott Steiner. Yeah. And even though his body is starting to break down at this point, uh, in terms of how he can keep a match going in the ring, mm-hmm. physically, he's an absolute freak. And he has got like, even though, again, his promos are the stuff of comedy legend, but you can't deny he has magnetic charisma yeah. even when he's talking absolute shite. That, that, and that's why he's so beloved on Twitter to this day. Exactly. Um, but yeah, just, uh, you know, I, I feel bad burying him this much. But I, like, I, yeah. I'll tell you, I, I did like the way he finished the match. I did like that. It's not something you'd see people use all that often. Like, a, what was it? Like, like a crucifix, whirly bird kind of airplane spin type thing. Yeah, so to get into the finish, uh, Enos pulls Lenny. Another spot I really liked is that like Lenny was on the apron and he kind of gets him in a headlock, pulls him over the ropes, and as he's draping backwards over the ropes, just forearms him down to the ground, mm-hmm. which is like a really cool like brutish power move. Um, and yeah, he's uh he hits like like a crucifix airplane spin variation and just lets go of it. Um, it doesn't seem to have a name because Tony just calls it the airplane spin variation. Yeah. Um, and the highlight of this entire match is on the replay. Bobby Heenan calls him Leonard Lane. <laughs> Bobby was not into this show at all. He just no. could not be arsed. Bobby was like reclining back in the WCW post-production studio, like probably huffing a cigar or something <laughs> like that. Couple of scotches deep. Uh, recording this show sorry I, I just got handed a freshly made cookie with what looks like Sparties in it so I'm just going to munch away on this as you talk oh you do that I, I've got a uh, I've got a, a backstage promo segment to talk about here Um, backstage on the gaudiest green screen thunder set <laughs> you've ever seen in your life we have Gene Scott and Buff uh, Gene calls Buff a, a monkey wrench in the plans of the Scott versus Rick match and Buff indignantly says who are you calling a monkey and he's, <laughs> Gene says but you interfered and he goes that isn't true now continue the interview <laughs> I love that that was a great line oh uh, do you know what I love this interview like I, I love this is the kind of we talked about Scott having charisma and Buff has got a lot of charisma as well and the thing about this double act I like is that you know Scott is reticent to wrestle Rick and him and Buff are a pair of absolute goofs together. But when Scott actually gets in the ring, you believe he's an ass kicker. 
You know what I mean? It's not like the, say, the Scott Hall bit, which we'll talk about later, where he's doing the drunk thing outside of the ring and then he's doing drunk spots mm-hmm. in the ring. This is like bell rings and fucking Scott is wrestling, you know? So that's why I like about it. It's entertaining out of the ring and it's entertaining in a different mm-hmm. way in the ring. But anyway, Scott says he's actually delighted with the news that he'll have another match with Rick because he beat Rick once. He beat him up once and he'll do it again. He invites Gene then to admire the size of his arms. He says Schwarzenegger doesn't have arms like this. And, and I, love, goes, I love that. Yeah, he goes, um, if he did, how many times do you think he'd win Mr. Olympia? And Buff yeah. just grabs the microphone. 30. <laughs> yeah, at least 30. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then as he's doing that, he's popping his top hat onto Gene. Gene stares him down and says, would you mind? I'm trying to add some dignity to this sport. And Buff says, well, it looks better on me anyway. Um, Gene says, "This I, I love this part as well. Uh, so Gene says, uh, J.J. Dillon is making every attempt to keep Buff out of this match. And right after he said, J.J. Dillon is making every attempt to keep Buff out of this match. Buff goes, who told you that? And he's like, J.J. Dillon. <laughs> He has no right. <laughs> Even though he's J.J. Dillon. He's like the the, the, the the chairman of the executive committee or whatever his role is. I have is. to say, I've come to a conclusion that indignant Buff Bagwell may be the best Buff Bagwell. Oh, it's phenomenal. And in, I think I, what I, is now... I, a ro- I was going to say, I just want him getting annoyed at things backstage now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just like he's getting... Who told you why I wanted this quinoa salad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, where's that kid with my latte? <laughs> Who ate my bear claw? <laughs> I am not going on without my bear claw. Gene then says, in in a thing that is now definitely a running bit, like uh, Nash being a big spoon, he says that <laughs> that JJ Dillon told him over a luncheon, and J- and Gene, for the record, says that he picked up the tab as a matter of fact. So that in the space of about two weeks is the second time that there's been an allusion to JJ being a cheapo. (laughs) So like anytime Gene mentions JJ now, I'm going to be keeping an ear out for um, Gene talking about having to to pay the bill. Yeah, picking up a tab or paying a bill for him. Uh, And I loved his his language of saying, he told me over a luncheon. Which is fantastic. When because you absolutely know they were in a bar having drinks. Yeah, yeah. But JJ and, and Gene Okerlund are definitely two men who would cheekily describe uh, a rake of pints of an afternoon <laughs> as a luncheon. Definitely. Business meeting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Buff said, no, no, he was really worried that he'd injured himself again. You know, he was feeling a tingle. And then as Gene kind of rolls his eyes and goes back to Scott, like... <laughs> Buff leans in real close to the back of Gene's head and just blows a raspberry. He's like, <laughs> I know he's blowing in his ear. No, he definitely does a. <laughs> and it's one of those things as well where in 2020 with a pandemic going on, something about a man doing that close to another man's head made me feel like inherently uncomfortable. It's really weird. I felt like a death match spot. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> death match spot. <laughs> Every so often, like, I, I, you know, we watch this stuff all the time, but every so often something happens where I'm like, fuck, yeah, we can't have, like, arenas full of people anymore now. It's weird. But, um, yeah, this segment was phenomenal. It might have been the best thing on the show that wasn't a replay of Nitro. Yeah, um, it probably was, actually. Um, um, I, I, I just want to cut in and say, this cookie that my lovely wife made is absolutely delicious. 
well jealous, well jealous. <laughs> Although, I will say... In oh, it's very, got, in a, every time I bring up fuel, do you always have something better? So go on, what is it? No, no, it's not better. But in a real sign of my advancing years, Lee, one of the highlights of my weekend was going to a farmer's market. And I picked up some uh, farm fresh milk that I'm going to have with some pre-packaged cookies, unfortunately. Not quite as nice as they would go with, with what sounds like your wife's dynamite cookies. But uh, I'm going to have a good night nonetheless. <laughs> Just weeping, thinking about fresh made cookies as I enjoy fresh, my... Fresh, uh, still warm. As I enjoy my pre-packaged weeks ago Maryland <laughs> chocolate chip Listen, and hazelnut cookies. Which are there, good, don't there get was, me wrong. There's nothing long, wrong with a Maryland cookie. No, especially at two for two euro. Come on now. Oh, there you go. There uh, you as well. <laughs> Flashback to Jericho's promo on Goldberg from Fall Brawl and then getting lost. Uh, what I <laughs> what I missed from this, so like, again, we're not going to get into it because it's all stuff we've seen and analysed before on the show. But the one thing I missed was as the pyro faded when fake Goldberg came out, I had completely missed the first time Tony Schiavone as the pyro faded down just going, what is that? <laughs> Just a brilliant delivery. An awful thing to say about a fellow human being. Yeah. Um, another flare video package, and then we go into Steve Armstrong versus Vincent. Oh god, why? Imagine I thought imagine paying money to go to a wrestling show. Uh-huh. In nineteen ninety eight, bear in mind. When you think about what the competition is doing. And you know, Goldberg, Kevin Nash. Hulk Hogan, yeah. the Ultimate Warrior potentially, Sting, mm-hmm. Ric Flair, uh, DDP, Booker T, Jericho, a galaxy of stars, Gal- an unimaginable amount of people on the roster, mm-hmm. and you go to a show, <laughs> and match number three, whether it's on the first taping or the second is irrelevant, match number three, yeah. as you're sitting there, Steve Armstrong comes out, and you're like, Fucking right. Okay, it's a squash. Fair enough. Yeah. The NWO music hits. I I was thinking like when the NWO music hit, I thought, all right, it's gonna be like Scott Norton or somebody. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. There's another guy, Scott Norton, IWGP champion around this time. Yeah. Could be him. Could be could be Kurt Henning, another big star. Could be Brian Adams, which you'd be less happy about. But you know, at least he's a semi semi, you know, pushed kind of guy. Yeah. You know. Could be even one of the big guys. Could be Stevie Ray. Could be fucking Hogan. Who knows? The one person you're not anticipating is Vincent. Yeah. Coming out with about four elbow pads on each arm. Looking like a low rent uh, Ahmed Johnson. Yeah. I he co- <laughs> So he comes out. And before the NWO music hit, when Steve Armstrong came out, I was like, oh, it's, it's obviously going to be Steve Armstrong versus the cat to avenge his hoofing a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. But nope. Apparently the Armstrongs don't care about getting revenge for being hoofed to fuck. <laughs> um, and I think it was Steve that took that awesome kick as well. Yeah. And and Steve, let me tell you, absolute shite gear on, man. Oh, yeah. Abs- Awful. Absolutely horrendous. Uh, just uh, a fluorescent singlet with uh, S.A. in, like, what looks to be Comic Sans uh, <laughs> on it. Just to be fair, of- that wasn't getting the, the, the anywhere near the level of hate it gets now in 1998. Yeah, uh, although it should have been. Uh, <laughs> Heenan balks at the idea that Vincent is technically a director of security for the NWO, saying that he must have been a lookout at Pearl Harbor as well. 
And then uh, I think it was uh, Stagger Lee in a line that popped the other two boys because you could hear the cough buttons must have been hit. So didn't he train at the heel of Doug Dillinger? Which is obviously like it's become a joke <laughs> even amongst the commentators what a bad secure head of security Doug Dillinger is. And yet the man um, remained employed up until the very end. Yeah. God bless him. Steal and a living. Armstrong pulls a bandana over Vincent's eyes and starts working him over. Uh, Vincent boots him, throws him out and does an... I suppose you could charitably call it an apron clothesline. It was the most lackluster running clothesline off an apron I've ever seen in my life. God, Vincent is shite. Awful. Absolutely Um, awful. And I'll tell you what, Steve Armstrong bumping around way more than this guy deserves. Um, The win mercifully isn't too far away. It comes with... Is it a Fujiwara Amber he wins with? It is a Fujiwara Amber. Incredible. And, you know... (laughs) All I'm going to say is, Josh Barnett, if we do have Bloodsport at WrestleMania next week, <laughs> next say, year. All I'm going to say is, Josh Barnett. <laughs> fucking end of. Listen, nobody would have thought of this, but obviously Vincent is a shooter. Yeah. So, give me Vincent, or whatever, what's he going by now? He is still Vincent, isn't he? No, he's wrestling superstar Virgil now, isn't okay, he? Okay, is that what he's going by officially now? Is it? Or uh, Soul Train Jones. I think he Soul came Train out. Soul Jones, yeah. At a spring break as wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Or he, sorry, he wandered out into the fucking arena as. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Give me, give me Soul Train Jones versus Tom Lawler. Yeah. <clears throat> I thought you were gonna say against Minoru Suzuki. <laughs> ah no, Jesus. <laughs> Let Lawler um, have some fun. Then to end the the segment, something we talked about in Knights of Nitro, more laughing from Chucky. Although, do you know? To be fair, that could have just been Chucky laughing at how bad the match was, and you couldn't blame him. Um, then we have a segment uh, and this is something I want to go back and get screenshots of so it's another Ric Flair segment but this time it's like fans at arenas talking about how mm-hmm. great Ric Flair is which is really so that's really cool uh, getting to see how much f- fans love Ric Flair is, is awesome yeah. and something else they should be doing a lot more mm-hmm. but I'll tell you what Lee this segment the thing that really struck me is that it's a succession of absolutely incredible haircuts <laughs> It's the most picture of 1998 ass segment of all time. There are some glorious baronets in here. I'd imagine I had a style like just one, at least one of them. Yeah. <laughs> all the pictures burned now, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, no. No, no. 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 Not, not necessarily. No. <laughs> what I might do is like, we'll... <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll post my communion photo and you'll see like... Yeah. What we do to... is we, we'll post like... Uh, on Twitter will post like four images three of them are from this video package and one of them is you at your <laughs> <laughs> it's like which one is Lee <laughs> but like uh, yeah no I, I I didn't really take note because obviously I'm a 90s kid so I wouldn't have you know been as offended as you apparently were <laughs> no I wouldn't say I was offended I was in awe <laughs> it was it was terrific um we then moved into a video package of the cat hoofing people, um, which, you know, I, I would much rather a video package like this than actually watch cat matches. Uh, unfortunately, we would then have to watch a cat match. But before that, we have a Saturday night tease where we have uh, Stevie Ray versus Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Uh, a look back at the Flair return, which is gas because we spent most of this show looking back at the Flair return. And they're also going to basically show the Piper Brett segment in full. Um, we then have Rick Fuller in new white gear versus the cat. Uh, 
Cat gets on the mic letting Fuller know that he's a three-time world karate champion. Tony is all already over this gimmick and says, yeah, I think we all know that. Dave, did you know that Ernest Cat Miller is a three-time karate champion? A three-time world karate champion? Yeah. Incredible. So, so he tells You'd think us. they'd mention it. You'd think they'd mention it. Mm. Um, <clears throat> he does the turnaround and count to three gimmick again. Uh, Fuller tasks him on the shoulder and Cat jumps him, going to work early. It really is. I can't remember what show. I, I, maybe it was OSW as well. That was listened to recently. That, like, it was described as WCWing somebody to jump them at the bell. And I was like, yeah, it's the most perfect phrase of all time. Well, we uh, had we had the period where Steen couldn't get his jacket off for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if that phase is over yet. Well, we haven't seen Sting wrestle for a long time, so... Well, apart from the the, the War Games match. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, uh, Kat goes to work early, uh, rams Fuller's arm into the post a couple of times, chokes him with a camera cable in plain view of the ref, who's just, like, fine with it. Um, Cat rules match, I guess. Uh, like... <clears throat> It's this is the point like it was obvious before that, but this is the point where the fatigue of this show is really setting in for me where I'm like, God, like these second parts of taping sets really there's no steam at all. Like this and you can't blame them for Rick Fuller versus the cat, but like this crowd aren't fucked at all about what's going on in the ring. Um Fuller gets worked over, he briefly makes a comeback, but then he goes to do a dive off the middle rope and eats shit. Uh, Cat hits the feliner and wins. Thankfully, he doesn't fall off the top rope when he does it this time. And I was, then I was going to say at least he hit it this time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he gets on the mic and says he's the greatest once again. He also says um, it's Miller time. Yeah, which is a much better than I'm the greatest. Uh, but whatever. Uh, another flare video package, and then Tanay is here. Uh, for Hennig versus Norman Smiley. Uh. <laughs> They talk about tickets on sale in Erie, Pennsylvania, at which point, again, Bobby, who has not been paying attention, just goes, have you ever been to Erie? It is. And the other two guys do not get the joke at all, and he has to explain it to them. Um, This is the match where, more so than any other, it is patently obvious how many empty chairs there are. And I feel bad because, like, not that this was a great match or anything like that, but, like, these are the two guys you go to the toilet during, Mm -hmm. not during Ric Flair versus the cat or fucking Mike Enos or Steve Armstrong or anything like that um, No, although I will say there's really nothing to write home about this match I, I thought um, Norman Smiley did a good job of selling his leg throughout it um, and it finishes with a headache plex but other than that I have nothing to say about this one I, do, you know what, do you know what's been confusing me lately what? And, and I suppose it makes sense but Henning working the leg for the yeah. entirety of his matches like okay I, I get like the Henning plexes like hooking the leg and you can't use the other leg to power out that's the, mm-hmm. the the wrestling term for you know reason why but yeah like just do a fucking submission if that's the case yeah like, you would you would think maybe it might make more sense if he was working like the back and the leg because the move impacts the back but hooks the leg kind of thing mm-hmm. um or if like he was to do a half Boston crab as, you know, a, as a, you know as what a secondary finisher even better what? If he started using the figure four about a month ago. Oh, yeah. And built to a match, I'd say, Starcade, with, you know, some guy that's just come back that also uses the figure four. If only there was someone like that. <laughs> Who also happens to be at Starcade in a different match for no fucking reason. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, anyway, I won't fucking get annoyed. Yeah, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. 
um another flare video package and i was remarking like if it was like just some random guy they were trying to push by this point they had done so many that i might be getting a little bit like okay we get it mm-hmm. but because it's flare and it's so hard for you to pick any clips of flare that aren't awesome i loved it still um although i will oh, yeah. say like i said the, ho- it kind of the highlight of the show yeah it, it kind of also a little bit comes off like he died <laughs> they get so many like they look like tribute packages but it, it reminds me of that do you remember when um fucking who was it got was it giant got shoot ganso bombed oh yeah and uh, in a match they, with nash they, they played that really that sad video the, yeah <laughs> when they banned the jackknife yeah and they did that video like he had fucking died all they, all they needed was like flowers him. around the video like in yeah. memoriam oh my god <laughs> um next up we have our uh our big hyped nwo tag match you can imagine how this went uh, it's stevie ray and scott hall with vincent versus nash and conan uh i love the start of this disciple was apparently supposed to wrestle tonight but he's still missing and they're really calm about the fact that he's been abducted for many days now at this point they, they also said they saw him hanging upside down at one point i don't yeah. remember that <laughs> No, neither do I. I wonder, was it a thing that was taped but didn't make it to the final edit? Like, come on. Like, they they said they saw him hanging upside down. Yeah. It reminded me of the, um, who was it? The, was it Savage and Crush? Oh, the the, the false count anywhere death match? Yeah. Where he did the hang him upside down, yeah. and as he as Savage went to walk away, the fucking pulley gave way, and he just fell down. Yeah, that was WrestleMania but he still had 10. Still yeah. like he couldn't move. Yeah, WrestleMania ten. Oh, I, I, um, I unironically enjoy that match. It, it's oh, yeah. awful. Like, but it's yeah. just so funny. It's just yeah, it's trash. Um, so Scott is on the mic. Wolfpack decisively wins his survey this week. Nash is out, and like you want to talk about a guy we mentioned earlier. Big immobile stiffs or people who can't wrestle but have a lot of charisma. Here's a big mo- mm-hmm. immobile stiff with a lot of charisma. Fuck, like, Nash says fuck all, does fuck all, but his swagger coming out that, and in delivering his two lines, he's like the biggest star on this show. He stood on the apron for the entirety of this match. Yeah. And he lifted his leg onto the bottom rope at one point and it was the high spot. Yeah. And you know what? Like, this is what I, I'd written down is like, we talk about Hogan being the biggest politician in the history of wrestling, you know, um, made a hell of a lot of money for himself and pushed down a lot of people. But, you know, for good or for ill, you would have to make a compelling argument for me not to think Kevin Nash is the smartest man in the history of wrestling. Oh, it, absolutely. <laughs> like, Hogan, yeah, but like Hogan... Hogan was this smart politician in that once he got to the top, he politicked his way to staying there and keeping other people out of the spotlight. Whereas Nash, Nash is a guy who was always shite, was never uh, like, um, never had the, like the star power of a Hogan or anything like that and managed to politic his way into main events and being a big star and earning a lot of money that you could say Hogan probably would have got been a huge star had a lot of money and had a huge run at the top even without his politicking whereas Nash has politicked an entire career 
But you know, th- Dave, how how many main events have we seen Kevin Ash in? So many. No, but like, I mean, during our Thunder run so far, it's really not that many. Like, not pay per view or anything like that, but he's been in a few like Thunder main events for sure. But and he's done about as much as this match. But my point is, the man was making mega mega money for doing yeah. very little. I'd say on our eight month run so far. Yeah, I'll put it this way. Whatever about the amount of main events he's in, we could probably count on two hands the amount of bumps he's taken since we started this show. I'd say the Steiner matches are the hardest he's worked. Yeah. And even then. <laughs> but I had to say, I did love, like, as they're making their entrance, I think it's as they're making their entrance, just as the match starts. Um, I don't know if it's Tony or Tanae that says, um, Nash is a man that doesn't get upset about much. And I'm thinking, I'm going... Well, the first fucking six months of our show is Kevin Nash getting annoyed at Hulk Hogan. Yeah. And NWO drama. Yeah. it Short memories in this company, I would say. I, I will say, um, at this point, he is the coolest motherfucker in the world. Oh, he is. And, like, for most of the... Re- like, even though at one point he has the book and helped book the company into oblivion, like, for the entire rest of WCW's run, like, any time Nash is going to be on TV, it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but again, we'll have so much more time to talk about that. Um, just to drag it back for a second, I will say, uh, Conan's usual promo is probably the biggest crowd reaction on this whole taping. Um, and even then, it's kind of muted compared to what it normally yeah. is. Yeah, it's definitely the most alive this crowd sounded for this show. Um, lots of the usual kind of when you have a match with guys who aren't really fucked having a match. Uh, Stevie and Conan, one of them has to pretend to be drunk. Yeah, Stevie and Conan do a lot of like standing off and then Stevie does a couple of power moves and then uh, Conan does his rolling clothesline and uh, seat and dropkick. And I, I do always, like even though we, we rag on Conan a lot on this show, I do love that rolling clothesline seat and dropkick mm-hmm. combo. It, it's good stuff. Great move. It just shows you flashes of the Conan that before his injuries and when he was bothered you could have seen. Um, and you can absolutely understand why Conan is a fucking megastar in, in uh, Mexico. Like, yeah, you, you yeah. see glimpses of it, and you can understand why. And you can see, like, you can you you can see why he was, and then in his promo beforehand, you can see how he was able to manage still being a star when his body was like ravaged. Gone. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, and his body is gone long before even the end of WCW, and this was a guy who was still in prominent spots on mm-hmm. Impact a couple of years ago, cutting like. Like amazing promos. We we've never talked about it, but God, how amazing was Conan in like two thousand five and TNA? Oh my God, with LAX, like yeah, oh, so good, so good. Really worth picking out uh, some of those segments with with them. But um, so <laughs> I loved. Yeah, this is where I noticed. So it's not like they were doing a lot of spots in the ring, but like the two outsiders are just having a fucking holiday on the outside for most of this match. Um. But then Scott Hall gets in and we're back to just doing stalling. Uh, Conan takes him down and puts him in a hold. Whole lot of uh, Hall, like, kind of either badly selling or selling being drunk. Uh, Stevie Ray is on the edge acting appalled because Hall kind of, he's near the ropes and he grabs his cup and takes a sip while he's on the ground. The crowd are chanting for Nash because they don't care about the other three guys. 
I, I don't know if I fell asleep or just stopped paying attention at this point, but all, all of a sudden I snap back to my attention and Hall is outside the ring and he's arguing with Stevie and Stevie has the best line of this whole thing where he says, I ain't working with no lushes, man. <laughs> <laughs> and as they argue, Scott Hall is counted out yeah. and Stevie storms out. Absolute shite. And like you said, the only saving grace of this is how entertaining it is that Nash did fucking nothing except put his leg up on the middle rope for a little while and he makes like a puzzled face at all of the stuff going on that that's yeah. like you know it's just the man got paid a lot of money for doing the show and you know what he has my respect fair play rinse those fuckers mate um flashback our woke king Kevin Nash <laughs> uh flashback to Hennig screwing the horseman and then another flashback, and this is the bit we mentioned at the start of the show, where they basically showed maybe 85 to 90% of the Horseman segment again. Um, In one respect, it's like, you lazy bastards, like, you weren't bothered coming up with anything interesting for this show. But also, I'm like, well, that segment was so good and so historic. And if you want to go forward pushing the Horseman as a major force, this is something you probably should do. Oh, yeah. So I can't and, really... And I have no doubt that they replayed it all again on Saturday night as well. Yeah. Um... Five minutes to go on this show, I noticed. And this is when we start the arm wrestling match as the main event of this program, at least in the order that it was broadcast. Uh, Arn is out in that sweet-ass Thunder Crew shirt that the two of us covet whenever mm-hmm. we see them go up on eBay. And we keep getting tagged in it by yeah. our mates whenever they see one go up. And it's like, we know, but they're just so expensive. Yeah. I'd love one. I, I, I want that polo t-shirt, like the the, the crew yeah. and the polo one. It's the polo just... shirt or the sweatshirt. Um, It'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd want them in like a nice kind of baggy 90s size because I'd only probably like wear it around the house lounging oh, rather yeah. than like I'm not wearing a thunder polo shirt on a fucking night out I'll tell you that <laughs> i tell you what um, if we ever get to the stage where we get to do a live show doing something we will oh. ensure we have some kind of thunder merch oh for sure Um, Nick Patrick the, oh sorry Um, so Arn is out with the Thunder Crew shirt and with Dean. Bischoff is out with Buff. <laughs> and with Dean, who's like secondary to the Thunder t-shirt. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the Thunder t-shirt does more in this segment anyway. Like Dean's just there fucking stone-faced the whole time. Uh, Nick Patrick explains the rule and Bischoff is kind of nervously dancing, doesn't want to go up to the table. Uh, Arn tries to go right-handed, but Bischoff reminds him of the left-hand rule. Uh, Bischoff begs off twice and then he said, ah, I never said anything about arm wrestling me. You have to re- uh, beat Buff instead. Uh, the commentary is like, oh, but Buff is left-handed. And he he wanted, Buff himself points out that he is left-handed and he wants to remind him, you know, the two of us, serious neck injuries, some people come back and some people don't. And Buff which is su- like the most super proud of that born. Super proud. And Aaron is like, you son of a bitch. Like he proper sells it very well. <laughs> Uh, before they start, Arn says Bischoff got what he wanted, and next time he sees him, it'll be with a tire iron in his hand. So, and this uh, is the most I like, like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really good. But like, this is incredible because we've talked about like NWO matches having DQ finishes and stuff like that. So many fuck finishes in main events of of Thunder, and yet in thirty two episodes, this might be the most anticlimactic finish to a show. <laughs> that was because brilliant. It, like, but it, it was almost like it was so anticlimactic. I was roaring laughing when the show just ended because yeah. it's like the match starts and immediately Buff wins. There was and literally the no struggle. <laughs> no, no struggle at all. He just wins. The lads celebrate for about 30 seconds. Arn and Dean just get out of the ring. And the, the show commentary cuts are off. Like, <laughs> the commentary are like, oh shit. And then it's over. 
It was like, yeah, thanks. See you next week. Bye. <laughs> yeah. We're out of time. <laughs> like, what the... Oh. Like, it was so... Like I said, it was so bad and anticlimactic that I was roaring laughing at it. So, you know, I was entertained, I guess. And yet it may be the cleanest finish we'll ever see on Thunder. Yeah, probably. It was decisive. That's for sure. Um, What did you think of this segment uh, before we wrap up? Hilarious. <laughs> they yeah. promoted it, didn't deliver on it, gave us a clean finish somehow, and still it's the fucking... It's probably one of the better parts of the show. <laughs> Apart from the fact that there was a finish, it's quintessential WCW. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Overall, Lee, we kind of alluded to it at the start, but uh, what did you think of this show? And give me your winners and losers then. To, to quote our Scottish brothers, it was absolute pish. <laughs> For sure. Um, yeah. No, I want to say this is easily the worst show we've had. Um. It's it, so it's not the most angry I've been at the end no. of the Thunder Show. Oh God, no, I'm not angry about it at all. It's the most kind of inessential waste of a show, you know. The the the, the flair segments kind of get got me through it. Yeah, but like anything on the show other than that was just so, just like absolute filler, and nothing of importance. And like if you ever think of an episode of TV that you could gladly miss. It would absolutely have been this. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, yeah, winners and losers. Um, Ric Flair is the winner. Mm-hmm. But by not being on the show. Uh, uh, 100%. Yeah. And yet still somehow being the most featured person on the show. Yeah. Um, biggest loser? I don't know. I, I, um, I don't want to say Aaron, but... Steve Armstrong? Yeah, maybe. Like, it's just everything is so inconsequential that I don't even fucking care. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Biggest loser was the two of us having to watch this. But even then, like, I'm not mad about it. It's just like, yeah, we're going to have shows like this. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Uh, I guess, yeah, like, nothing actively made us angry. It was just kind of a waste of an hour and 19, mostly. Um, Our finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borga. Matches six, clean finishes five. Count out one. <laughs> and do you know what? That'll probably be the best run we have on a show. Of clean finishes, yeah. for sure. For a long, long time. Uh, until the next one of these, I guess. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose we better get used to seeing fucking Rick Fuller. Yeah. Oof. Anyway, that's another episode of Days of Thunder in the bag. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks. I was going to say, next episode is just another Thunder, isn't it? Yeah, we're back to just our regular rotation every two weeks until uh, that Arquette documentary drops. Uh, it'll be your every two week helping now for a little while until we get to a uh, is uh, another it... memorable Nitro for all the wrong reasons in a few weeks. I think it's the pay-per-view go-home week, isn't it? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so look forward to that one. I think, uh, I think everybody knows what we're talking about, but uh, yeah, that will be uh, the man it, in the mirror if you, on Nitro. If you like getting ahead of us on the show... It's the next. Don't. <laughs> it's next couple of thunders, and then the week of the pay per view. I think it goes Nitro Thunder pay per view, and we'll be covering yeah. all of that. Yeah. So look forward to that. Uh, so we'll see you all in two weeks for another episode of Thunder. See you later.
Thanks everyone for downloading another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder is produced by Lee Malone and edited by myself, Dave Ryan, and available every second Thursday night wherever good podcasts are sold. You can follow Days of Thunder on Twitter or Instagram, where we love to hear from our listeners, about all things wrestling and beer. We're at WCW Thunderpod on both platforms. I'm at the day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. This has been a production of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe there for a veritable feast of podcasting content from wrestling of the past, like the world cast, through the years in the International House of Combat, to wrestling of the present with Boom Goes the Dynamite and Strong Style Story, and something a little bit different with Gideon Guys, Yours, Mine, and the Truth, and Busting Balls. Subscribe now, you won't be disappointed. Thanks. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars